The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. is A to Z Healing Toolbox, Tips and Tools for Navigating Grief and Trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool K, Knowing Your New Environment. What do you need? Who do you need? As you're going through this extremely difficult time, walk or hopscotch, take a train, a plane, or a bus to the places and people who can give you some love by Daphne Rose Kingma. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast, where we discuss tips and tools for navigating the grief and trauma journey. Today, I am super excited to have my friend and colleague, John Polo, on again, and his friend and colleague, soon to be my friend and colleague, um, Carolyn Gower. We are going to be talking today about Healing Tool K, which is knowing your new environment when grief and or trauma strike. And um, these guys have a new book out. I'm so excited to hear more about that. But um, I would at first love to just kind of tell everyone how we met. And I'm going to start with John because John is the one who I met. And then he introduced me to Carolyn. So John and I, let's see, you know, I was trying to figure this out. We we did a podcast last year, John, on journaling. Um, but we first met at Camp Widow way back in, do you remember the year? 2017. <gasps> that long ago, you were a baby. You were a newbie to Camp Widow, right? Yeah, it was my first year at camp. Yeah. Yeah. And so John and I have seen each other at zillions of Camp Widows since then. And then tell me how John met Carolyn. How did you guys meet? 
So she was a client. She came to me. She was a client. Carolyn lost her husband to cancer as I lost my wife to cancer. And I don't remember if it was a first session, second session. I think it was the second. I looked at her because we were doing a video coaching call and I said, you need to be coaching people. And from there, it kind of grew. She will tell you that I think she had dabbled in some life coaching before. She could tell you um, better facts than I can. And we kind of maintained a relationship. She was a client for a while. I helped her kind of learn the ropes of coaching when she started. And then one day I looked at her because I was recording my own podcast about dating relationships and self-growth. And I looked at her one day when we were talking and I said, you need to do a podcast on grief. And she said, you need to do it with me. And I said, (laughs) no, I do not. (laughs) I barely have time to use the bathroom anymore. I slept on it. And I said to her, look, if you will handle the editing and the marketing, if you can take that on, let's do this. And she said, I could take that on. And the rest is history. (laughs) Wow. I love that. And so, Carolyn, wow, you've come a long way then. Yeah. From that coaching session, I thought I'd try, not knowing what grief coaching was at that time. And to now, you know, doing a podcast with John, doing a book together. Yeah, certainly come a long way in those few years. That's amazing. And, you know, you're, you're far from John and I too in distance. Tell everybody where you live right now. Yes. Yeah, so in case people can't tell from my accent, I'm in Australia. Beautiful. I was sharing with Carolyn before this call that my son Jacob was born in Australia because Brent and I lived there for seven years. And so I feel a connection with Carolyn already. Okay. Now, I would love to get into your book. I know John has a couple of books out already. You have co-authored a book together and it slots very nicely into talking about knowing our new environment and other people trying to understand our new environment and sometimes not quite getting it right. So can one of you please tell us the name of your new book and um, where this concept came from? You want me to do it or you want to do it? <laughs> Go ahead. I'll, I'll right. join you. <laughs> They'll duke it out. <laughs> the title of the book is called The Stupid Shit people say to grievers. And where this book came from is in season one of our podcast. I don't remember what episode. I think maybe episode five or six. It was fairly early on. Episode three, John. Okay. There you go. So she, she, see, she's got the facts. I don't. That's so right. So we decided to do an episode about the stupid shit people say to grievers. And we both posted on our coaching pages, hey, if you've ever had anybody say something stupid to you, mean to you, et cetera, tell us and we might include it in the podcast. We had so many comments. It took me days to read through them all. We did the episode. It resonated with a lot of people because I think a lot of people feel very alone in that journey. They don't necessarily know that everyone else is dealing with similar types of nonsense. And then a few months later, we were again chit-chatting on a video and we said, maybe we need to turn this into a book because of not only the volume of comments, but the absurdity in these comments. And also, we need to help people to do better, to help grievers understand that they're not alone in this, 
to shine a bright light on what issue this is, like what an incredible issue this is, how deep it is, and also to try to help the rest of society do better when it comes to grief. Yeah, so the interesting thing was with that episode of the podcast that we had, of course, lots of grievers who felt validated because someone was recognising how stupid some of these comments were. But also there was quite a few non-grievers who listened and they were saying, wow, you know, when you explain it like that, it makes sense that what we're saying is really, really bad, even when we it's said with the best of intentions. So we kind of see this um, book as for the griever so it can validate their day-to-day experiences and what they hear every day, but also for the non-griever so that they can be, I guess, a bit educated and learn, well, one, why it's not good to say these things, even if they are with good intentions, and to to know how they can help. So we're not just saying don't say this, you shouldn't say this. We're saying this is why you don't say this, this is how it feels, but here's something you can do instead. So I guess it's we call it a coffee table book. So the griever can buy it, put it on their coffee table, leave it there. So when they have people come around to visit, they can see, oh, you know, what's this book? Pick it up, easily flick through it and see something that's going to help them. So it's kind of a win-win all round. I love that so much. And in part of the work I do with the widowed community with Soaring Spirits International, we have um, a beautiful, um, it's like a little library online of documents. It's a document center where folks can find information to help them with grief and trauma. Um, and there's uh, there are about three or four documents on there for support people. And one of the things that was shocking to me was the lack of knowledge from my support people. I was struggling to figure out my new environment. And for some reason, I just assumed everyone else would get it, right? And of course, if I don't get it, they're not going to get it. John just mentioned, you know, we need to do better. So can you speak, maybe I'll ask you, John, and then Carolyn, you can fill in, but what is it about grief and or trauma for that matter that people don't get? I mean, why don't we get it? What, what is that about? I don't think we get anything. And I look at myself. So I was always going to funerals in my youth. Like we had at least one funeral a year to go to. Cousins, friends, uncles, grandparents. I was always at funerals. My dad, who was my best friend and my hero, died when I was 24 years old of cancer. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to me at that point in my life. If I'm just going to look at widow loss for a second, I thought I knew what my mom was going through. And I had absolutely no idea because every loss is so different. I don't think people understand not only the significance of the loss and whether it's your child, your parent, your your person, how it changes every aspect of your current life and your future, the trauma involved, but then also all of the secondary losses and how you walk in this world feeling all alone. And I think we go back to some of the basics. People either don't know what to say 
when really it's not that hard. I'm so deeply sorry that you lost them. I don't know what else to say. And you give the person a hug, right? Like it's not that hard. So silence is really not an excuse. The platitudes that people use, right? That are often not helpful. And then I have to be honest, and I say this in like the very first thing I say in this book, whenever I post on social media about, you know, people and the stupid stuff they say, I will always get at least one person that says, but they mean well. And here's the thing, they usually mean well. Some of these comments that we have in this book are not by people who mean well, (laughs) right? So like, even if we wanna do well when somebody we love is grieving and we don't know what to do, we still need guidance. But I also gotta point out that a lot of people don't have good intentions or aren't trying to be kind and supportive. That's an interesting point. Do you want to do you want to piggyback on that, Carolyn? Oh, I sure do. I've got so much I could say, but I'll I'll um, try and abbreviate it a little bit. So I think the big problem is well, one of the big problems is society and our societal beliefs, um, what we've been brought to believe in this world that we live in, and grief makes people feel very uncomfortable. Um, even the the medical models that you know doctors and some psychologists use around grief are still based on the the five stages of grief, which really well it's quite outdated now. It's not really as relevant to grief as, as it is to the dying people, but um you know that's what all, that's all society knows and that's what they base it on. And then there's this thing that they think that. You're going to grieve for a year and get over it. And as we all know, that is not the case at all. So grief has no end date, but people can't accept that. And the other thing is that human instinct is they want to fix us. So when someone is around us and we're grieving, they don't know what to do with us. They don't know how to help us. And it's really uncomfortable for them. So they try and fix us. But when they try and fix us, they're not hearing us. They're not supporting us. They're they're kind of shaming us into thinking that we're grieving all wrong. And then I guess we just close up. We feel that we can't talk to them about it because they just don't get it. And we just take our grief underground. It's like we hide it from them. So instead of us being supported out in the world and with the people that are closest to us, we're hiding our grief and dealing with it alone. And as you both know, that's a really sad feeling. Yeah, I love what you've just said. And something John said in a minute ago just kind of hit me and made me remember two specific instances of of people that were in my circles of life, one who completely got it with zero words and one who completely didn't with a a montage of words. And John mentioned something about silence, right? So I have a neighbor downstairs. Um, she's originally from South Korea, speaks English, um, but we still have some language difficulties sometimes, me getting my um, my words across to her and her getting her words across to me. Food helps, right? I love all the kimchi that she brings me. There's no need for um, any words on that. But I came home from 
um, Brent's celebration of life. And one of the neighbors had told her what happened. And I got out of the car. She simply came over to me and just wrapped me in a huge hug. There were no words that were needed. That, that was it. It was so beautiful. I just remember this woman gets it. I, re- I still remember that. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm at the gym six months after Brent died. I wrote about this story in my book. I'm half naked in line for the shower at the gym, holding my shower bag. And around the corner comes this woman who just peppered me with questions. Oh my God, what are you going to do? Your child's only five? What happened? Where did the accident happen? I mean, just a barrage of questions so much it hurt so much that I cried in the shower. And then on my way out of the gym that day, I canceled my membership. And so we have these two extremes in society, right? And I hadn't thought about the third, right? We have the people who do it right, the people who do it wrong. But then John's talking about a third group of people who actually don't mean well. I never thought about that. So can you speak to the people that don't mean well? What is that about? Yeah, there's three things I want to say really quick. So the first one is, before I address the question, you don't have to understand someone's pain to respect their pain. And we talk about this in the book. Of course, of course they can't understand, right, what it was like when we lost our spouses. Of course. But they should be able to respect the pain. That's the first thing. The second thing is I love that story you shared about your neighbor, because there's a piece in the book I wrote about a moment with my sister. It was one of the worst days that I had since Michelle passed. It was Memorial Day. I won't go into the whole story. All I'll say is I was just sobbing for hours and hours and hours that morning without the ability to stop. And my sister was having Memorial Day. I finally made my way there and I get into the her house and I start sobbing again. And we walk into her bedroom and all she did was rub my back as I sobbed. And that was what I needed. I didn't need her to try to fix it because there was no fixing it, right? As far as your question, I don't know that they mean harm, but they're just, pardon my French, they're just assholes, right? Like they say things that you should know are going to hurt. We're adults. This is what separates us from four-year-olds. We need to think before we speak. We need to filter ourselves And we don't need to say hurtful things or mean things. And it's not just stupid shit in this book. Carolyn, you know, see if you agree with me here. There are a lot of mean things that are said in this book. Now, whether they are said with the intent to be mean or not, we're adults and they're still mean and we should know better. So let's talk about the book for a minute and... What are some of the the things that have been said? I mean, those people who are listening that have had a grief experience will know. They will know exactly what's been said to them. Um, Comparisons to pets dying, um, any number of things have been said. Get over it, move on, all those things, right? He's in a better place. She's in a better place. She's your angel now. I mean, on and on and on, right? All those things. 
What are some of the things that stood out for you, examples that people talked about or stories of your own that made it into the book? Because really the book could be 500 pages and I don't think it is. So what are some of these stories that made it into the book? I'll let Carolyn well, take the first one. I just have to say real quick, it could have been 4,000 pages, Susan, literally. <laughs> Go ahead. True. Good point. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it could have been so much longer. I think we might have to do a second edition of it, John. So what we think is the absolute worst comment that we've put in our book is this one. So it's after our sweet six-year-old was killed in a car wreck, someone told me that it was probably for the best as he may have grown up to be a murderer or something. Oh. That is the absolute worst I think we've ever heard. Can I jump in there for a second? Because Susan's face, for those of <laughs> you that are listening to the podcast, we can actually see each other right now, the three of us, and Susan's jaw dropped. So we did include the typical things you would hear, like all the things that you said, Susan, right? Because those are things that most of us heard. But the thing about this book is because we have all those comments from all those people on our social media, when we went back and we asked those people, can we use your comment in the book? There are a lot, such as the one Carolyn just read, which are absolutely jaw-dropping. Uh, my personal favorite, and when I say favorite, it's with disdain, right? <laughs> is, of course. Is I don't have the exact quote in front of me because obviously I don't have the book in front of me because why would I have the book in front of me if I'm doing a podcast, right? <laughs> Sorry, long day. Um, <laughs> is... Somebody told a new widow, don't worry, your husband's fine in heaven. He probably has a new girlfriend by now. Like how, like, I don't understand how that even leaves a human's mouth. It makes no sense. <laughs> I have no words. Right? Like how? Wow. And then wow. There's a, we had a few people say things along the line of people had told them, my husband is so annoying. Sometimes I wish he would die. That's beautiful. Lovely. All right. So here's, here's what I speak a lot about at workshops all over the nation. It's navigating social change. So here's a bereaved parent, a widowed person, someone whose parent has died, whose best friend has died. Social relationships change right? Our friendships change, our family relationships change, new people come in, total strangers like, like you both, right? To my life. Wow, these people are amazing. But things change. And part of what was so challenging for me, and I've heard from hundreds and hundreds of other people as well, is learning how to navigate these social situations where people are saying stupid things, where people don't understand, where we feel like an alien on Mars, where once we felt like a human on Earth. So can you both speak to that? I mean, how would you suggest or what are some tips for grievers as to how to navigate people after their person has died? Yeah. Carolyn, you want me to start or do you want to start? Yeah, you can go. Okay. So I'll just do a couple tips here. So one is I really firmly believe that we have to empower ourselves to grieve our own way. Like it's, it sounds so simplistic and like maybe 
Well, yeah, I could see that advice. No, like it's everything. I'm telling y'all, it's everything. You have to empower yourself to grieve the way that you have to grieve. And you cannot let anyone's actions or judgments or words change the way you need to grieve. And when you do that, you're setting the stage so that once you're ready to rebuild and live again, now you are empowered and you can empower yourself to rebuild and to live again the way that you choose. So that's one thing. One of the things we wrote in the book is really taking a look at, you know, somebody who might not be supportive or might say hurtful things to you and really looking at each case individually and saying, is it worth it? Is it worth it if I try to like explain to this person? I'm a believer that if it's somebody in our lives, we should explain it to them once, but we don't need to keep doing it. Give them one opportunity to understand where you're coming from and step up to the plate. If they continue, you don't need to keep going there. So is this person worth it or do I want to just walk away? And then the other thing I'll say is I just believe that everyone needs to take a very hard look at who they're around when they feel better and who they're around when they feel worse. Who lifts you up? Who makes you feel seen? Who makes you feel like it's okay to be in pain? Who makes you laugh? Who makes you feel hopeful? Who makes you feel like it's okay to be happy and smile? And who makes you feel the opposite? You have to start taking a very close look at that. And something I I have found quite helpful to me was accepting that not everyone around us can support us in our grief because, as we know, they don't understand it really unless they've lived it. So taking a look at that and accepting that they can't all support us and then I think as long as we have someone, one or two people in our lives who we can have their to be a good support for us that we can talk to and we could have, you know, our grief communities or a coach or counsellor or whatever it might be, um, you know, grief catch-ups, widow catch-ups and so forth. But as far as our circle around us, if you've got one or two people that you feel comfortable that you can talk to at least a little bit about your grief and feel supported and then take a look at the rest of the people around you. As John said, who makes you feel better? who makes you feel worse, and we want to protect our own peace. So before you write people off and think they're really bad at supporting in my grief, they don't get me anymore, we have nothing in common, just take a bit of a closer look at how they otherwise might bring value to your life. So, for instance, are they someone that you really enjoy going for a coffee or for lunch with? And or maybe going to a movie out for dinner. Are they good fun to be around just to have a laugh, have a drink, whatever it might be? So even though they might be really, really bad at their grief support game, they can still bring a lot of value to your life in other ways. So sometimes we need to lower our expectations of the people around us as well. Beautifully said, both of you. And I just want to piggyback on something you said, Carolyn. One of the other chapters in the A to Z book is called, is letter O, Healing Tool O, which is organizing your supports. And something that hit me early in my grief was that I had some amazing people in my life who just couldn't be with the sadness. They couldn't be with the hysterics. They couldn't be with the trauma, but they wanted to do something so I got out a piece of paper and made and folded it into three columns. 
right? So at the top of one column said the beers, where are the people and who are the people that can be with me in this pile of poop, right? Who can be with the grief? Who can be with the trauma? Who can sit there and listen and not fix it? Okay. Let me write some of those people down. The next column were the doers. Who can shuffle my child around? Who can do my laundry? Who can pick up groceries at Costco? Who, who can do things? They still want to help me, but they can't be, right? It's too uncomfortable for them, but they want to do stuff. Okay, let me utilize them. And then the third column, back to what John said, who are the people that need to sit on my shelf? And behind me, I have a, a, a shelf and I would just put people on it like, nope, that person stresses me out. Nope, that person is asking too much of me. Nope, that person is expecting that I'm going to be in a place where I might never be. So those people became the shelfers. So like taking, I love what you both said about taking stock of who's in your life. Do you need to put them on the shelf? Do you need to give them some jobs to do? Or can they actually be, right? Which leads me to... My other question for you both, you said the book is for grievers and non-grievers or supporters. So what are some things that the supporters can do for people who are grieving? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the book, we kind of, we didn't say exactly what you just said, but one of the things that we said for grievers is to really be clear with what can help you. As you said earlier, Susan, in this podcast, I always say this, like when we're grieving, we don't know what we want or need half the time. So how is someone else supposed to know, right? So be clear with them. It would help me if we could go for coffee once a month. It would help me if we could have a phone call once a week and I can talk about my deceased spouse. That's for the griever. But as far as the non-grievers, again, I'm going to go back to respect you don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand it at all. You could have had no loss in your life other than a goldfish when you were six years old. And you can still support someone in your life who has had a devastating loss. You just have to respect it. You don't always need the perfect words. Sometimes it is a hug or a rub on the back, right? And then the other thing I'll say is the platitudes. I'm a believer that Platitudes can have a place when it's the person who has lost saying it. So here's the example I give. They're in a better place. I actually am a very spiritual person who does believe that Michelle is out of this human experience, which can be really difficult. But that's for me to believe and not for you to say. Because the bottom line is I would much, much, much prefer her here in the physical form. It's great that she's in a better place, I guess but she's not here in the physical form. So I don't want anyone saying that to me. So I think that platitudes also have to be shelved a bit. So well said. I'm nodding my head the whole time you're talking. Yes, the platitudes. <laughs> yes, I can say things that you can't, right? Have you had that experience, Carolyn? Or do you have oh. words of wisdom for those who are trying to support us? Yes, and I think it's important to for us as grievers to allow people to help because, as you've both said, we don't know what we want, but there are ways that we can still allow people to help us. So I know as a griever, you if someone asked you what you need right now, you just don't know. 
However, as you're going about your day, things will pop up and you might think, oh, I really need the lawn mowed. I wish I had someone to do that. So my suggestion is to make a list yourself. So as things come into your head that you know need to be done, write that down on a list, leave it handy with you. And then if someone comes around or someone calls you and says, what can I do to help? Give them the list and say, these are the things that would really be helpful to me right now, but I'll let you choose what's most suitable for you. So I found that can be a a simpler way than asking straight out, can you mow the lawns when the person's probably thinking, you know, I don't want to do that, but I'm happy to do something else. So it does make it a little bit less uncomfortable. And another thing I think um, it could be handled is for the support person to make a list of three things, for instance, that they could do. So it may be taking the greatest children to the playground or or doing the school run, um, dropping some food around, whatever it might be. But for the support person to offer, say, three things that they know that they're comfortable with doing and then offer them to the graver and say, okay, you know, I'd love to help. There's these three things I can do. Would any of those be helpful to you right now? And once again, that takes the pressure off both sides. Can I add in one more thing, which I kind of mentioned earlier, but I need to elaborate on it because it's so huge. So many grievers feel as though they can't speak not only about their pain, but about their person. They are just dying to speak about their person, to say their name and share a funny memory. And you know what? Maybe maybe a not so funny memory, maybe a memory you know, rooted in pain. Allow them that space. Allow them, ask them questions. One of the things I do now is, you know, I always have people email me and they'll tell me about their loss. People I don't know, they're not clients, you know, they're just telling me about their loss. And I would send them, you know, some condolences and some kind words and it felt so empty. And one of the things I just started doing in the last six months is when somebody does that now, I will say, if you ever want to share a story with me about you know, your son, Joey, about your wife, Cindy, I would love to read it, send it my way. I'm opening the space for them. So I think that's another thing that society can do for grieving people. That's a a beautiful comment. It reminds me, um, so on Valentine's days now, it's not usually a day that widowed people love. And what I've done now on my virtual calls with 20 to 30 widowed people is I say, okay, this is called, uh, share, share your Valentine. So everybody bring photos, bring surfboards, bring, bring your people here and let's go around and share stories and share their hobbies and just share and just talk about our people. So we split into breakout rooms and off we go and people don't want to leave. They don't want to leave that session or that breakout room because it's so powerful. Oh my gosh. Not only am I being invited to talk about my person, but I get to hear about all these other people as well. So powerful. Yep. I agree. 100%. And it's such a beautiful thing being allowed that space to talk about your person and, and to get to know other people's person who died too. Yes, it is. Now we are going to have to sign off shortly, but before we go, I'm wondering if both of you can share 
where people can find you, where they can find your book. You also do a podcast together. So where are you out in the world? Okay, I'll start since that seems to be the routine. I'm not trying to hog. I'm not trying to go first every time. So my website is johnpolocoaching.com. Our podcast is called My Person Die Too, and the book is on Amazon, wherever you are globally, and it is called The Stupid Shit People Say to Grievers. We are having a little bit of an Amazon issue where sometimes it's not popping up for people in other countries. So if you have any issue locating the book, email me and I will send you a direct link for the book. And my website is carolyngowercoaching.com. And um, also you'll find me on social media media under Carolyn Gower Coaching. Fantastic. Now, I know Carolyn's in Australia and John, you're in the U.S., but can people go back and forth? Like, can people in the U.S. find you, Carolyn, and have sessions with you? And John, can people from other countries have sessions with you? Oh, yeah. I have clients from around the globe, all over. Yep, absolutely. Yes, and the same, absolutely, everywhere in the world. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for being on the A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast. I know we'll chat again, and I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of that book. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Susan. Bye. Bye. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support, or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z toolbox.com. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine? speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.